welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. <laughs> we would never describe ourselves as presumptuous because it's, it's seen as bad, right? And yet, how do we live? Well, we live like it's not a bad idea because I'm okay with me being presumptuous, but what I'm not okay with is you. We sort of have a different place where we put others. We are quicker to judge others for being presumptuous than we are ourselves. What's interesting is we've been walking through the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And one of the things that's going on in this church is that the people are being somewhat presumptuous. They had feasts in the temple to these uh, idols, the, the Greek and Roman gods. And the people of Corinth were saying, no, look, I know that it's kind of an orgy every time I go there, but I can still totally go there and be a Christian. It's not a problem. Get off my back, leave me alone, Paul. And they were sort of presuming that everything is fine. There's no big deal. And you know what? Even if I do sin, it's okay, because then I'll just ask God for forgiveness, and everything will be all right. What's funny is, when I describe the church at Corinth, while our... Our things that we go to may not be as dramatic as the, the pagan temples. We are quick to presume on the grace of God and just go on sinning. We are very quick to just say, you know what? God, God forgive me later. I'm just going to go ahead and do what I wanted to do in the first place. No big deal. And so that's the situation that we're in, and that's the situation that the church in Corinth was in when it comes to the passage that we're going to read this morning. So what we're going to do is I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13, and I'd ask that you would stand as we read this together. Paul says this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in the sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. 
God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So the church at Corinth was quick to presume on the grace of God. They were quick to say, it's no big deal. And Paul comes and he he sort of retorts that. He sort of answers that question that they're asking. And he says, look, let me give you some examples of when this has happened before. Let's talk about the people of Israel, our spiritual fathers. And he says that they all experienced things just like we experience. And he goes back and he sort of walks through the story of Exodus. And he says, look, all of these people came out of Egypt. They were all rescued by God. And when they were rescued by God, they all got to go through the Red Sea. And they all got to eat manna, which was this bread that was sort of left out with the dew on the ground every morning. And and apparently it was like you could bake it into sweet cakes and yet it was really healthy. The the way the Bible describes it is roughly the same as a a very, very tasty, healthy Krispy Kreme donut. And they, all they had to do to get these hot and now Krispy Kreme donuts was walk outside and they were everywhere and they were healthy. We're going to find out later that they complained about this, but let's not go there right now. But all of them ate that manna, and they all drank this water that came out of this rock. God said, I'm going to make water out of a rock, and they all got to drink it. And what's interesting is, as Paul sort of walks through this, that they all went through the cloud and went under the water, that they all ate the same food, that they all drank the same drink, it's interesting that he's very clearly making a parallel to us in the church. Because what are the symbols of our faith? Sometimes we call them sacraments. Is it not baptism, bread, and wine? Are we not all united by the water that we pass under, the bread that we eat together, and the wine that we drink together? We are. And the church at Corinth was the same. And what the people of Corinth were saying was, look, it's fine. I hate communion. It doesn't matter what I do Monday to Saturday. On Sundays, I take communion, and so everything is fine. It's no big deal, Paul. And what's interesting is, this is what happened to the people of Israel. They thought, well, we all got led out of Israel. We all eat manna. We all drink from this rock. Everything is fine. And while I love the English Standard Version, the, the translation that we use here at City Church, it blunts this a little bit. It says that they all um, were overthrown in the desert. But if you read it, what it actually says is the desert was littered with their bodies, which is just, I don't know, maybe it's a guy thing. I don't know. But the, just the imagery of the desert was littered with their bodies sounds like like the cover of a metal album, right? (laughs) Why? Because they were presuming on the grace of God. The desert was littered with their bodies because they were presuming on the grace of God. You know what's interesting? Of all of the adults that came out of Egypt, that God brought out of Egypt by the hand of Moses. Do you know how many of those people, it was roughly a million adults, do you know how many of those made it into the promised land? Two. Two. 
<laughs> two. Two out of a million. Right? I don't know much about math, but I think the odds on that are bad. <laughs> Only two out of a million of the adults that left Egypt made it to the promised land. So what is Paul warning us about here? What Paul is warning us about is presumption. Just because I do the external things that we think Christianity tells us to do does not mean I have a vibrant relationship with God. There's no autopilot in Christianity. We can't sort of set it and forget it. There's no cruise control and there is no Uber. Christianity is something that I actively have to be engaged in, but not in the ways that we're trained to think. You see, we are trained to think that the way that I measure my Christianity is by how good I behave, how well I perform as a Christian. This is true of me, and I think it's true of you too. How often do I say, God must love me because I did this thing? God, God loves me because I haven't missed a quiet time in this many days. God loves me because I, and fill in the blank with what thing that you think that you do really good for Jesus. You see, when we do that, we're being presumptuous as well. Because Christianity isn't a religion of performance. It's about repentance and trust in Jesus. Did the people of Israel earn their way into the Exodus? No. It's the grace of God. Did any of us do anything to make God love us? No, we couldn't, and we can't. What's pleasing to God is faith and repentance. So, so why do we have this presumption in us? Why is it that the people of Israel are our example, and the desert is littered with their bodies? Paul tells us, he says, the reason why this happened to them and the reason why we need to be thoughtful and considerate of this is because they, the people of Israel, craved evil. It's because the people of Corinth craved evil. It's because I crave evil. And you do too. Think about what your heart desires. What do you want more than anything else? More often than not, that question points us back to the thing that we actually worship. Whether that's the acceptance of others. Whether that's the security of our life. Whether that is a certain relationship. What happens is each one of us desires something. And the way that Paul sort of shows this is he walks through what happened after the people came out of Israel. He walks through why the desert was littered with their bodies. 
And the first thing he references is the golden calf. So imagine this. I just want to walk through these stories with you. And, and they're laughable for us to look back at them until we start to look at our own hearts. So let's not look at our own hearts yet. Let's just have some fun and walk through these stories about those people back there, okay? So the first thing is, Moses goes up onto the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And what do the people do? They go... Where is this Moses guy? He's been gone for like a month. You know what? Forget Moses. Forget the guy. Forget God. Right? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make a cow, and we're gonna worship that cow, and that's gonna be our God now. And so that's what the people did. They literally took off all their gold jewelry. They melted it down. They they made a cow. And they said, this is our God now. How should we worship him? I don't know. Let's get drunk and have lots of sex. Sounds good to me. And that's what the people, they're literally weeks away from Egypt. God has brought them through the Red Sea days ago. Moses goes up onto the mountain and they quickly go, eh, this is not exciting. Let's find something new. There's one of the best uh, parts of the Bible actually happens in that story because Moses comes down and he finds out that the ringleader of all of this trouble is his brother Aaron. And he confronts Aaron about this and says, Aaron, what happened? And Aaron, who is 80 years old, says this, Moses, I don't know. We just threw all of our gold in the fire and out popped a cow. (laughs) It wasn't me. The fire did it. He literally blames the fire for creating the golden calf. And so then the people of Israel move on. And God is feeding them with manna morning after morning after morning. And all they have to do is go outside and pick it up. And guess what? They got tired of it. And they started complaining to God. Uh, all, everywhere I look is just manna. Just manna everywhere. Ugh, I'm so tired of manna. What's interesting is what was going on with their hearts when they said that. What they were saying is God's gifts aren't good enough. Which is interesting because in my heart, what do I often say? Yeah, God, look, God, I know you've given me all of this, but that's not good enough. I want some more. I want something different. I know things are going really well, but what about what about that? I want I want that, right? To quote the um, the eminent theologians from the '90s, I want it that way. <laughs> How many times do we look at someone else's relationship and say, I want it that way? How many times do we look at someone else's children and go, I want it that way? This happens every time that there are girls around and there are parents who have daughters. And I look around at those daughters and go, look at them playing quietly. There have been zero headbutting incidents in the past five minutes. I want it that way. And yet, how many times do we envy others? Do I look around and go, look, God, I know that you've given me all of this stuff, but I want that stuff. 
and the people of Israel, God sent serpents. But he also sent a way of escape from the serpents. If they would just look at the center of camp, there was a a bronze serpent on a pole. and, And this bronze serpent on a pole, when they were bit by these poisonous snakes, God said, look, just look at the pole and you'll be healed. Just look at it. And yet some of them still died because they wouldn't take that step. And the last sort of story that Paul points to is this story where not only did they not want manna, but they started complaining about the fact that they hadn't eaten meat. They wanted meat. And they said, oh, I wish it was in... You remember the good old days in Egypt? We had garlic and meat, and it was great. And you, you want to look at them. You want to reach into the Bible and grab them by the shoulders and go, yeah, yeah, but you were slaves. But they don't care. They don't remember that. Selective memory. They go, but I want meat. And what's funny is God sent them so much meat. And this is another great part of the Bible. God sent them so much quail meat that they ate it until they were puking it up. So you want you want meat? Okay. All right. You want quail meat? I got you. All right. It was waist deep. Literally the camp was waist deep in quail. But the story also reminds us of how many times I think God is withholding from me. So while, while on the one hand I think that God's gifts aren't good enough, how often do I think that God is holding me back from what I want? You see, more often than not, where our desires are most frustrating to us is when we think we want something and God won't give it to us. When we look around at even something good and say, why won't you give me that thing, God? I want that. And we begin to desire it. And you know what we do? We decide that we're just going to go ahead and take it. We just decide to walk into the intensive care unit. We put on a pilot's uniform that we have stolen and walk right in. We take what we want. I know this is true of my life, and I imagine if you're anything like me, it's true of yours too. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're just checking out Christianity. You're just asking, what is all this about? What, is, what does this passage have to do with you? Well, I think one of the things that this passage exposes in all of us is this sort of duality in our culture, where our culture says that you should walk your own path. You, should, you do you, boo. Right? You do you. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, whatever you want, you just do that thing. But the hard part is that our desires often come at the cost of somebody else. Our desires affect the people around us. And we can't untangle that mess. And so on the one hand, we're supposed to do whatever we want as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. But don't think too hard about how much it might hurt somebody else. Because then you'll be paralyzed and you won't be able to do anything. So just kind of do what you want. And this passage shows us that when we do what we want, it ends up hurting us. But there's something else that we see in this passage, which is a the good news. 
The bad news is that, on the one hand, we are very prone to pursue, presume on God's grace. But the good news is that Jesus knew this. It's interesting that as we walk through these stories that Paul references from the Old Testament, the the story of of the death that came because of the golden calf, the story of the serpents who, who were biting them and terrorizing them when they complained about the manna, the story of the destroyer of death that came when they ate the quail, is we're seeing a picture of Jesus as well. Because what Jesus did on the cross was he took the death and hell that you and I deserved. For all of our presumptuousness, he took that on himself. And not only did he take that on himself, he destroyed death through his death on the cross. And he defeated the serpent, which throughout the Bible is always a metaphor for Satan. See, Jesus conquered death. Jesus destroyed hell and invites us into that new life. Do you see the way the passage ends? It says, look, there's two things that are going on here. One, those of you who think that you've got it all together, take heed. Anyone who thinks he stands, take heed lest he falls. And so he's warning us against presumptuousness. Think about it this way. I think most of us have this experience where we come to a fork in the road and we go, am I going to do this thing? And there's that split second in our mind where we go, hmm, am I going to do this thing? Am I going to do it? That split second is the grace of God, where we don't have to presume on His grace, but rather, what does the Bible say? It says that God is providing a way for us not to fall. A way for us not to go down that road. And that way is Jesus himself. That way is turning to him and saying, I can't do this. I need your help in my life. And so on the one hand, we shouldn't presume on God's grace. But on the other hand, we shouldn't despair either. Some of us have habits and addictions, struggles that we've had for years. And it's easy to despair. Will this ever be different? Will things ever change for me? And the good news is that yes, they will. God is making us new. He's making our hearts new and giving us new ways to be changed by his grace, by the message of what Jesus has done for us. And as he does that, what we get to be is a new community that warns each other against presumption. A new community that helps one another when we're in the pit of despair. A new community that pushes one another closer and closer to Jesus himself. May God do that in us. Let's pray.